Welcome to Water from the Well, a work of the Church of Christ in Santa Clara. In today's episode of Water from the Well, we're going to meet Paul Watson. Paul is a preacher intern with the Church of Christ at Santa Clara, and he has joined us uh, this year. Um, the, the project actually starts in January, but Paul uh, wanted to join us early, and we didn't mind having him early. Yeah, <laughs> jump the gun. Jump, jump the gun, that's right. Yeah. That's fine, though. We, we actually yeah. enjoyed having you here to help with the event that we had, the How We Got the Bible event, yeah. and uh, just to get you rolling a little early here. But what I want to do in today's episode of Water from the Well is get to know you, a little bit better, um, or at least let our audience get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so uh, where do you come from, Paul? So I am from, uh, born and raised in Kentucky, um, lived there most of my life. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I hail from. So this is my first time living on the big bad West Coast. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, the weather's great. Oh, Can't beat it. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you um, is this your first time out to California? Uh, yeah, the first my first time in California was when I came here um, to visit. Oh, so right, okay. um, yeah, so this is right. this is the farthest way I've ever been from home, and so out into yeah. the great unknown, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like go west, young man. Somebody you said that. Yeah. <laughs> now you uh, also are fresh out of college, right? Not quite fresh. Uh, a few years out of college. Okay. Um, graduated in 2014. So. And where did you go? I went to Western Kentucky University, so go Hilltoppers. Oh, if anybody boy. out there yeah. <laughs> knows about the national champion, yeah. <laughs> Hilltoppers. Yeah, they're just a, just a, an obese Elmo with just a huge gaping mouth that <laughs> that eats people at basketball games. That's what a Hilltopper is. Oh, fun. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll look for the next uh, national champion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tele- yeah, yeah, you tele- may be looking look a while. <laughs> Um, so let me ask you, uh, Paul, did you grow up in a Christian household? Yeah. Um, so my parents um, – and I'm the oldest of three kids. Um, my parents always made a uh, made it a big point not only just to, um, to take us to church every Sunday obviously but to, um, to base our household, our family around – um, the Bible. So yeah, that was always a focal point from the time I, as, as far back as I could remember from the mm-hmm. time I was a kid. So I'm grateful to my parents for that. Yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a blessing. You know, um, um, I was actually surprised to find out that, uh, there's, there are a lot of members of the congregation that didn't grow up in Christian homes, yeah. but for whatever reason, everybody that I've interviewed has grown up in a Christian home. So not a lot of variety in, in yeah. my podcast on that angle, but, um, <laughs> But, you know, still, uh, even though you grew up in a Christian home, you know, you've got your own identity, you've mm-hmm. got your own beliefs and everything and, and uh, you know, exposure to the outside world and everything. There's a there's got to be a focus of some kind of how you know about God. Do you have like some early memories of, of just like how you learned about God? Uh, I remember uh, vividly, again, obviously being in church a lot, but also I remember um, both my mom and my dad um, reading scripture to me or explaining a story from scripture to me as a very young kid. Um, mm-hmm. And and I uh, I started reading pretty early, like um, earlier than, than most kids. Um, and so I, by the time I was four or five, I was um, – I was into the stories of the Bible, and I think that's what every kid gets hooked yeah, on first, yeah. right, is the stories. Mm-hmm. And then as you grow older, they mean more to you. Right. Um, but yeah, that's really my first memory of of getting to know God and getting to know the Bible, and then of course it develops. 
Right. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about that because I remember when I was younger, um, uh, you know, I didn't really grow up. I, I, I grew up learning about God and we'd go to church sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was younger thinking that all the, the, uh, the stories in the Bible were, were fiction. Yeah, you know, and then as I got older, I started to realize, hey, wait a minute, these are these are supposed to be real. Yeah, um, do you remember that having that sort of transition where you first sort of started realizing that, that this stuff actually happened? Yeah, well, I I, and I think that's a part of just growing up and developing in the faith is, yeah, when you at a certain point when you're a little kid, you're learning these stories from the Bible, and you're also learning fairy tales and yeah. folk stories and all these stories from different places, and they all seem pretty. Um, equally cool to you when you're mm-hmm. a, a kid. Any yeah. any story that's fantastic like that is, you know, is amazing for you as a kid. But then as you grow older, you start to see more of the layers of meaning, which is what I'm always amazed by in the mm-hmm. Bible. Is that you can you can go into a passage thinking you know exactly what it means, and you've read this, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah. And it reveals something new to you somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's part of the the uh, the miracle of the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah good. Um, so at a certain point uh, in your life, you were baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Uh, can you actually give us an a, a account of how you were baptized? Yeah, I was baptized um, actually really young. Um, I was probably nine or ten at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and but like I said, I had been. Um, you know, I, I caught on pretty quick with reading and, and was pretty um, – by the time I was 9 or 10, was pretty um, studious in terms of the Bible for, for a 9 or 10-year-old, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I've, I've looked back on it and been like, man, I was so young when I was baptized. But I really still do feel like I knew, you know, the simple gospel. I knew the core. Yeah. I knew that, that – uh, I knew that I was a sinner and I knew that I needed God. And – I really think that is, uh, you know, that is the first step, and it's the first step yeah. in many. But it's, yeah. uh, there's, there's no, um, the the first step is the, is the, the the simplest part, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even even a, even a child can uh, can take that in and understand it at a certain age. Yeah, so. you know, I've heard a lot of folks are critical of people to get baptized what they believe is too early. Yeah. But I, I tend to agree with you that I think as long as you have that general uh, concept, which which is pretty yeah. simple to understand, you can build on that. But one thing that I have noticed um, just through interviewing people that grew up in uh, a Church of Christ home yeah. um, that they seem to get baptized a lot earlier. Right. And I might, I have some thoughts about that. I mean, no, what, but let me let me uh hear what you think. Oh man, I have some thoughts on that too. Um yeah, I mean, I think the simplest answer is probably that kids who grow up in the church are more familiar with the fundamentals of the gospel and yeah. um and what one has to do to be a Christian because you hear it all, pretty much every Sunday, right? You know, since if you're if you're going to church regularly and um and then I also think that there you know you you would kind of have to be a fool to deny that part of it also is wanting to be accepted by a community wanting to be accepted by your parents and so mm-hmm. there might be some instances when kids um you know uh, uh become Christians get baptized without full recognition of what that means right but then that's that's tricky though because uh, you know, my recognition of what the gospel is and what baptism means now 
is vastly different and I would I would hope vastly superior than than what right. it was when I was yeah. you know 10 years old right right but uh but was my my perception of salvation and baptism enough for me at 10 when I made that decision mm-hmm. I think it was yeah, yeah. um and it, it's a decision everybody makes at a certain point in their life and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. different for everybody yeah yeah I agree um I mean everything you said right there is what I was thinking yeah the uh what I did with my kids, because all three of my kids got baptized pretty early, and matter of fact, uh, as you went down the line with my kids, they got baptized earlier. Nico, I think, was 14 or something, mm-hmm. Renee was 13, and then Jay was like 10 or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, But with each one of them, I thought to myself, okay, there's there could be that they just, like you said, want to be accepted into the church family, and so they're doing this. It could also be... Uh, I need to watch out for myself because yeah. I really want to see my kids baptized, and I don't want to push them into right. the water, you know. Yeah. And so what I did is, is uh, Marie and I, we decided, okay, if they're saying they want to be baptized, let them go and talk to Mike. Yeah. You know, Mike Wilson, the preacher, and uh, we would so we'd send we sent each one of them in there into the office to talk to Mike. Yeah. And I figured, okay, if they could go in there and convince Mike that, you know, they're ready to be baptized, then I, you know, yeah. let's go with that. Because uh, there were a couple of reasons why. One, I figured if they could articulate it to someone else and someone else who had, you know, uh, who they really looked up to. Yeah. And not only that, but Mike wasn't the biggest fan of baptizing someone early either. Right. So I figured if they could get past him, yeah, then they're doing pretty good. So... Uh, yeah. But uh, it it worked out, you know. I, I just, but I think to have those types of of plans, you know, with your kids, especially if if they're growing up in a Church of Christ home, um, uh, that that they, uh, you know, you prevent those um, those mistakes that you might make where someone might get baptized just for you know to please right. mom and dad or, or whatever. And it's a weird situation too, where you have to kind of put aside your. Because you want more than anything for them to be baptized yeah. as their yeah. parent, and you understand what an important decision that is. Right. But at the same time, you have to know, like, oh, I'm I'm biased. I I could be pushing them mm-hmm. towards something they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, exactly what you did seems like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Send them to mm-hmm. a, a third party and have yeah. them explain it. Right. Yeah. All right. So, um, after you become a, a Christian, life changes. I mean, you know, maybe not so much for someone that grew up in a Christian home. Than for someone who who didn't and became, became a Christian, but for you, do you remember like significant changes or big lessons that you learned early as a Christian? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the first big lesson is that you know that first burst of zeal that you get after becoming yeah. a Christian it doesn't last. Right. That's obviously the first thing that a lot of Christians find, and you know that that bubble that that uh, post baptism euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it lasts longer for some people than for others, but it always kind of fades away. And so the question is, um, what becomes of your faith when that happens? Right, right. And you know, some people fall away, and and then other people um maybe have weaker points in their faith, but they adapt and change and mm-hmm. build their faith. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I uh, the biggest change that I've found to be consistent across time is that life is constantly changing. Right. And so your, your perspective, even as a Christian, um, constantly changes, but hopefully with whatever the changing circumstances of your life are, you're, you're, you're constantly turning back to the original source, turning back to the word to make sense of whatever's happening in your life and the Mm -hmm. way forward. 
Um, so yeah, just, uh, the, the volatility of life is something that I'm constantly astounded by. And then also something that the scripture constantly speaks to and constantly gives me comfort regarding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I remember uh, when when I became a Christian. Uh, one of the things is I had I had that, like you said, just this euphoria of, yeah. of, of being new in the Lord and having that relationship with Him now that I could I could work on. But one of the things that I had to learn is that, um, even and I guess it speaks to what you just said. Even though. I have changed. Life didn't really change. So, you know, all of all the problems I had before were still there. Right. You know, yeah. I, I, as part of me, I think, expected that, you know, once I became a Christian, that everything would be easier and God would take care of this and God would take care of that without me having to do right. anything. And that's not true. It's not like you get a genie, you know, yeah. and you get three wishes or whatever. <laughs> but you still have to work on life. Yeah. But you work on it with God and you step along with him. Yeah. And he helps you through those things. And it makes it makes handling those things easier but it doesn't take those things away and matter of fact sometimes it even adds some some problems that you have to deal with yeah mm-hmm. absolutely I mean, then that's something i talked about in um uh the the song scripture prayer service that we had last weekend yeah. was you know the, if you look at the book of lamentations that old book is is jeremiah mourning for all right. the things that he's lost yeah and all the things that his people have lost that they don't even recognize mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm and even and amidst all that, as depressing as it is, the central pillar of that book is um, the steadfast love of the Lord never yeah, ceases. Yeah. It keeps coming back to that. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, even in the darkest of times, you can reshift your focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you, you're here on a um, preacher training program. Yeah. A two-year internship. Um, where you're being uh, developed and, um, you know, into uh, at, at some point stepping into a pulpit that you will command. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I want to ask you now, uh, you know, what made you want to pursue becoming a preacher? Yeah, well, my path to this was kind of zigzaggy and meandering. Um, <laughs> I had always had an interest in preaching and I've been doing it um, – kind of on a part-time basis since I was probably 19 or 20 mm-hmm. and um, filling in here and there in my uh, home congregation and then doing some more of those type of things um, around college time. And then when I got out of college, I kind of uh, took several different career paths that um, that I uh, quickly jumped off of <laughs> uh, <laughs> shortly thereafter. Um, and we can I get, go into some of that if you want. But the, the, the short version of it is that after um, trying my hand at a few different things, I really started thinking a lot about what am I devoting my time toward? Mm-hmm. What am I using my talents for? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, a lot of interests in a lot of ways that I wanted to use my talents, but I, I was looking at my life and saying, I don't have enough time to get all this done. Mm-hmm. What is it that's really important? Right, right. And the more I thought about that, the more that preaching seemed to be – and preaching as a career, preaching as uh, – well, career is probably the wrong word. Preaching as a way of life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed to make more and more sense to me uh, until ultimately I couldn't – I couldn't even justify to myself anymore staying in a secular job. I, 
I felt like this was something that I had to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the short version of it. Okay, you definitely uh, don't want the long version. I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, uh, put on the brakes and back up, um, because you said something. I just want to talk to you a little bit more about it because you you said preaching as a career. Mm. Then you stopped yourself and you said, well, okay, wait a minute, preaching as a way of life. Tell me what you think the differences are. Why do you, why were you uncomfortable saying preaching as a career? Yeah, well, it's one of those things that. Uh, you, uh, there was one of those moments where you say something and then you give it a second thought and you say, oh, I don't think I would have said it that way if I had <laughs> given it another second of thought. A career seems to me to be something that you pursue for practical purposes, for the, your own self-advancement. Mm-hmm. So a career uh, in the best of worlds hopefully is something that you that you love doing and that you're good at. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that you do for you, right? Mm-hmm. If I say, you know, somebody so and so has built a career over twenty years in in computer technology, right? It means they're they're working their way up some hierarchy within that world. They're mm-hmm. um, trying to advance themselves, right. and that's not what that's not what preaching is. Preaching is, you know, under the best of circumstances, it can provide you um, a living. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of preaching. That's not right. the goal. Right. The goal of preaching is the spread of the gospel and, right. and the promulgation of of the gospel and Jesus's message. Mm-hmm. And I take a, I try really hard to take a very narrow view of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I'm preaching something that's not speaking to that in some way, mm-hmm. um, that's a problem for me as a preacher. Right. So instead of trying to make it like a, uh, uh, you know, make a 20-year plan of how I'm going to succeed at being a preacher, mm-hmm. I want to live the right kind of life, study the right kind of things, have mm-hmm. the kind of relationship with God that I need to have as a Christian, mm-hmm. forget about it as a preacher, right? and then take those things and translate them into solid biblical preaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the way you said that, and I, I agree. Um I think that that a lot of preachers struggle with that because, um, you know, especially if, if preaching is is the work that you do yeah. to, to earn a living, um, it's uh, because the the idea of it is that I have this talent and I'm spreading the gospel, and I don't want to feel or seem like the only reason why I'm doing it is to get a paycheck, right? You know, and so when you tie it to words like career, it, it's uncomfortable. It feels a little but, icky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I wanted to dig into that a little bit deeper yeah. because when, when you reacted that way, I said to myself, I get that. Yeah. You know, I get it. And, and anybody who's ever preached understands that. Yeah. You know, you don't want to feel like, okay, the only reason why I'm doing this is, is to earn a living. Um, because it's, it's way beyond that. And the, the motivation, the reasons why yeah. uh, we do what we do is, is beyond that. Yeah, and it's not even – like me pulling back from the word career, it's not even like um, self-censoring. It's I really think that's the wrong word. Yeah, I think that that <laughs> right. that, that that actually is misleading. I think a way of life is is closer to to what we mm-hmm. should be aiming mm-hmm. for as preachers. Yeah, good. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so, uh, has learning to be a preacher been what you expected? Um, no, it's uh, it's constantly surprising. Um, because when I got into this, I, I really thought I knew the basics of putting together a sermon and preaching a sermon. Because I had, like I said, I'd done it, you know, on and off on a part-time basis for for many years, and um, or for a few years at least. 
And, um, and then once I, I really started intensely studying it under, um, first under some preachers in Alabama that I was working with. And then now under Mike, um, the more I learn, the less I know. You know, that's that's a cliche that's that's there for a reason because yeah, it's it's yeah, true. It's true. It's like the the tools and uh, you can use and skills you can develop to become not just a better preacher, but a better student of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a better prayer life, um, you know, to meditate and devote yourself more richly in God's Word. Mm-hmm. All, all, uh, all of those skills that go in your in your tool belt as both as a Christian and as a preacher, I find every day new uh, new angles at uh, new angles for looking at Scripture, um, new things to use in my personal study, right. new ways of looking at things. Um, it's uh, it's constantly new. The work that's the amazing one of the amazing things about right, the job right. is that. Uh, there's never an end to what you could be doing. And uh, mm-hmm. even if you're doing everything you should be doing, you'll still feel like there's more you can do. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so true. Yeah. So true. The, um, uh, one of the challenges, I think, uh, is, uh, is learning how to adapt your voice to, uh, to different people too. Yeah. Um, you know, different audience or, or, um, or whatever, as you bring different lessons on different subjects. Um, you know, we see Jesus the way he went around and how we, when he talked from one person to another, he used a different tactic. Um, yeah. and just like you said, just learning things as, as we go along, picking up those things from different people that can, that can help us. Um, what have you enjoyed, uh, most about the work of a preacher? I love, uh, this may seem a little weird, but I guess that's probably the most <laughs> honest answer I can give. I love we do value honesty here <laughs> I I love the feeling of when you're standing up there and preaching and you lose track of time and mm. somebody might say well in the audience might say <laughs> well, well we don't we don't love that very much I don't I don't mean running over gratuitously right. but what I mean is when you're uh, th- there's this idea that preachers talk about sometimes about um preaching from the overflow and that's something like what I mean is that You've accumulated all this knowledge to preach this lesson and there comes a point when you're preaching it where you almost from second to second are forgetting even the words you're saying. Mm-hmm. You've just mm-hmm. grown to know this outline or know this passage yeah. so well yeah. that um, that you're outside of time for a minute you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. You're, you're just giving, giving them everything you've internalized. Right. Um, and then, and then you know that moment when you go and sit, go to sit down. It's like all the breath suddenly comes back into you, and you're like, <laughs> "Where did the last thirty minutes of my life go?" You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but yeah. that—that's what I really love because I think when that when that feeling happens, when that clicks, you know there's something that's working that's happening in the mm-hmm. room. You know, mm-hmm. you're uh, you're hitting on 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 some truth, or else you wouldn't be that <laughs> right. that worked up over it, yeah, that excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, good, good. Um, so you were a creative writing major in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you think that that might help you with preaching? <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess, was too, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're two two former creative writing majors. Yes, here. I, I can tell you, it gives me it gives me a perspective on the narrative of the Bible that I find to be um, well, it's just not something that people focus on a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Which is 
this is a it's a book that's made up of books, and each of the books right. has an individual structure and, mm-hmm. and story and mm-hmm. uh, characters. Yeah, voice of the author. <laughs> right, and yet across you know the you know fifteen hundred two thousand years that it took to compile that book, mm-hmm. there's one continuous story. Yeah, with multiple intertwining subplots <laughs> right. that uh, that all come together in the end that yeah. uh, coalesce perfectly. Um, the, I mean, I could probably talk for an hour just about the way the, literally the first chapter of the Bible and the last chapter of the Bible are perfect bookends and perfectly yeah. parallel each other. It's right, beautiful. Right. It's a beautiful yeah. study. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything about the book of the Bible to me, um, in terms of its broad narrative fits, it's all yeah. cohesive. Sure. There's is. not one piece and I think it takes a little bit of a writer's perspective to f- to recognize what a feat that is, mm-hmm. just yeah. just yeah. from a structural That's perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, novelists talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll start a story and you you'll finish your novel and you'll look back on it and you'll say, "There's this weird." subplot that I never really resolved that's kind of sticking out and making right. the, the story clunky and odd. Right, right. There's not a one of those in the yeah. Bible. And no. I, I've even, yeah. myself, I've written stories and, you know, I'll, I'll start it and I'll get to the end of it and I'll go back and I'll read it and it's like my, my voice will change or my yeah. perspective through it and I just say, you know, this isn't, this isn't together. It, it's, it's the same characters. Right. By the time I reach the end, it feels different. Right. But you're right. You don't get that with the Bible. You you get different voices, but the theme is the same. Yeah. You know all the all the points and all the the uh, the uh, the goal of what it's trying to get at and the the values throughout are are the same. Yeah. Well, and you get writers also speaking to each other across history, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. Because the New Testament writers frequently quote the Old quote Testament. Quote the Old Testament, yeah. And if you look at the prophets, they're constantly quoting the Old Law, the, mm-hmm. the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- there's it's cross-referenced in every possible direction, and it never falls apart. Right, right. The, these writers who reference each other never knew each other, mm-hmm. only vaguely read of each other, but yet – the story fits together. Yeah. They call back to the old law. They, right, right. Uh, prophecy looks forward to Christ. And yeah. it, it, it all coalesces in the New Testament around Christ. But mm-hmm. the story is, is vast and woven together over all this time. Yeah. It's amazing. I and could nerd they, about they, it all day. And, and you, you get that sense. You, you could tell that they have unity through, through God. Yeah. You know, through who's directing them to do what they do and say what they say. Right. So, you're right. Even though they're they're different, they they never knew each other. Um, they have the same director. Right. It's kind of like when you when you look at some of these sports teams. Uh, when you have a really good coach, it really makes a difference. Right. When you look at you know, I hate the Patriots. First of all, let me <laughs> yeah. say that first. I hate them, but I have to say that there is definitely something to that coach because <laughs> he's he, there have been times when he's had really good players, and there have been times when he's basically just had Tom Brady. But you get the same result. They're just this dominant team, and it's got to come from the philosophy that's coming from him. It's got to. And you, you, know? you know he's a good coach because he wears that hoodie with the cut-off <laughs> sleeves, and no one's been able to stop him for years. He's got to have something going. Yeah. Uh, but you know if you look at God as really the coach of the Bible, yeah. you know he had all these writers laid out to deliver this message. And even though they had different skills and talents and, and strengths and weaknesses – 
uh, they were getting direction from the same source. Right. And it's clear. It's clear. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right. So um, what do you think is the biggest challenge of preaching to today's generation? Well, I think – I mean I think there are a few things. But one of the most vital things I think is finding a, a way in for people. So Mike does this a lot with Ecclesiastes. He'll mm-hmm. use Ecclesiastes as kind of an anchor study to get people's foot in the door of the Bible and kind yeah. of explain – because uh, Ecclesiastes really takes a, a very universal approach to the human condition. It's yeah. it's almost like reading a, a you know a, a, an existential philosophical treatise. It's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you struggle all your life trying to put together some meaning, only to find that all of these things that we ascribe meaning to don't have true transcendent meaning to them. Right. So Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, where is the transcendent meaning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, he finds, I mean, spoiler alert, yeah. that, <laughs> that, 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 that the only real transcendent meaning that exists is, is to serve God and live by his commandments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he says that's that's the whole duty of, whole man, duty or, of or, man, or or alternately translated, man's all, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all there is. Right, um, right. And, and so we have to get people to see that uh, first, that uh, if we can tell people about Jesus Christ all day long, but if they don't have a desire for uh, a communion with God, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And once people have that de- genuine desire for a relationship to God, then you take them to something like the Gospel of John. Right. Um, and then the, that's a separate issue is how do we present Christ to to this world? And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say we, uh, you know, we present Christ as uh, as the scriptures present him, which is someone who someone who challenged religious conventions at the time, mm-hmm. someone who challenged each of his individual followers in their personal convictions at the time and the way yeah. they viewed the world, and then focus in on the teachings and really dwell on what it means to mold our lives in the example of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all things that I think that the world is looking for. Yeah. Because, I mean, we live in a world in a lot of ways that they figured out that first part of Ecclesiastes, right? That there's no, you can't put your finger on on anything that means anything really in this life. Right. And then they stop. And really, this is most of modern philosophy, right? Is Mm -hmm. is most postmodern philosophy is really just that first step in Ecclesiastes and then they just done. they just wallow in it yeah and it's like uh if we can get people to take that next step to say there has to be some communion with god that i can have i yeah. have if there is a creator of this universe that seems so chaotic and meaningless mm-hmm. i have to be able to reach out and, and communicate to him yeah absolutely if we can get people to see that then then i think that's the first step to building a faith and it and it builds like a snowball continually on itself mm-hmm. um yeah yeah you know we uh we're studying ecclesiastes one of the alternate classes on sunday morning yeah and um one of the things about ecclesiastes is if you read it it could read that solomon is saying that life is meaningless what's the point of life right and um it could almost seem like uh, at times when you read the words that he says that just everything is hopeless right. and why are we even alive but you know as you read the conclusions that he comes to 
um, then you, you understand that what he's talking about is life without God involved in right. it is meaningless. And that we need to, we need to grasp whatever that is that, that uh, builds a relationship with God so that we can understand the meaning of our lives. And, uh, the, uh, and you, you brought up a, a really good point as far as how we reach today's generation because you're right, everybody's kind of looking at the types of things that Solomon wanted as far as, you know, wisdom and wealth and all and power and all of that. Um, but what do you do once you get it? Or in the pursuit of getting it, you know, where do you aim yourself so that right. any of this makes sense? And uh and if we can if we can get folks to open up that door and look beyond you know this life and and what it could bring if they if they aim themselves toward that you know, that that's key yeah yeah well and solomon as the figure in ecclesiastes is so important it's so important that he has all that wealth and wisdom and um all those kingly attributes that he has because part of his message is he says to you the common person listen i know you're trying to do you're you're trying to experience everything this life yeah, has yeah. to offer let me just stop you I have all the money that anybody could ever want. I have all the power anyone could ever want. Mm-hmm. I've experienced it all. Let me tell you about it. Right. And right. then that's the part that you can say, well, this is kind of depressing because what he ends up telling you is <laughs> none of it means anything yeah. apart from God. Apart from if you God. If you separate God from the individual events of your life, your individual actions – I, I I challenge anybody uh, make meaning out of that without God yeah. in in a in a real way, um, and and that's really the, the whole point of of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great, great. Well, you know, I tell you, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, continuing to work with you and serve with you. Yeah, and, and the congregation sure appreciates you, and you know, we're looking forward to some uh, great things that you're going to do in the future. We we've haven't had an opportunity now as a congregation to support you know young men like yeah. you and bring you here and and uh, hopefully uh, help you develop. Uh, to to go out and serve the kingdom in a greater way, and I just want to let you know, you know, personally, I've yeah. loved having you here, and well, I look forward to more time uh, with you. Well, yeah, well, I want to tell you, I can't appreciate enough what you and the other elders have done for me here and given me this opportunity, and um, I, I mean, I want to tell you, I hope to make the most of it, certainly. Um, but I've also been having a lot of fun so far already. Good, getting good. to know this congregation and. And, um, that, you know, that's another cool thing about being a preacher is that for me, the work is fun. Like I, like I, 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 you know, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I think that's a, that's a great point. You know, unfortunately, uh, I, I believe that there's some preachers out there that don't exactly enjoy what they do, but, but I enjoy it, you know, and I'm glad that you do too. Um, and, uh, you know, you got some huge Kudos lately. Um, we've had a, a elder pass away, uh, Dwayne Garten, recently, mm. and uh, Dwayne was uh, teaching a um, yeah. a uh, uh, senior class, and uh, Paul stepped in and, and took over that class. We thought we'd give him that as an assignment or as, <laughs> as an assignment, uh, also as a challenge. It was quite a uh, training ground. Yeah, <laughs> you aren't kidding. But uh, Paul got some really good reviews from the ladies in that class, and uh, and to step in. And take over from someone like Dwayne and get uh, good reviews, not only from the other ladies in there, but from his wife. Yeah. You know, that, that says something. Well, those ladies are a ton of fun to teach. Uh, and they have some really insightful comments. 
Um, and yeah, I, I'm loving teaching that class so far and I'm glad they're enjoying it too. But they, uh, they give me a big boost every Sunday as well. So great, great. All right. Well, I look forward to, uh, to the work that you're going to do. I've enjoyed hearing you preach and, uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, well, we already have some of your lessons on our website that uh, folks can go and listen to and we'll have uh, more as they remember. This is the beginning of the training, so don't judge them too harshly. (laughs) Hopefully over two years, we'll see some marked improvement. Well, thanks for talking (laughs) with us, Paul. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Sebastian. Thank you for listening. For more about us, check us out at truthseekers.org. There you'll find our links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.